Welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. I'm your host, Anthony, and today uh, we're going to dive into some very important waters. We're going to go into some deep waters and we're going to talk about Christians and mental health. And so if you know anybody or you've struggled with um, aspects of mental health, I need you to watch this completely through our guest um, is uh, very familiar uh, with aspects of that, even wrote a book years ago. I remember it was one of the, the books that uh, I would hand out to other people, uh, do something different for a change, I think is the way it's worded, but uh, she'll correct me. Um, but today's guest, uh, Dr. Peggy, and they used to, people just call her Dr. Peg. And so that's the way I'm going to rephrase it. Dr. Peg, welcome to our show. Thanks, Apostle Anthony. It's a pleasure to be on the other side of the mic. You have been a guest on my radio show over the years many times, so uh, a blessing to talk with you today about this important topic. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a great opportunity. And so those that are listening, make sure you like, subscribe, uh, share this uh, podcast, whether you're watching it on YouTube or listening to it on Apple podcast, Spotify, and all the other places where this shows up. Uh, thank you so much for those that are supporting. Um, you make it possible for me to continue to do this uh, full-time and, and, and continue to grow the reach of this podcast. And so today, uh, Dr. Pegg, uh, how, what's going on in your world? You and, you and I haven't talked for a few years now, so yeah. I need to catch up as well. Yeah, <laughs> amen. Well, my husband and I relocated from Denver to Southern California in 2019, and we're there. You know, I'm a beach lover. Anyone who knows me knows I love the beach, and I try to get there every day. And so being in Colorado, landlocked Colorado for 19 years, as much as I loved it, it's just been a blessing uh, to have relocated to Southern California, especially once the pandemic hit. And um, if it weren't for the beach, speaking of mental health, if it weren't for the beach, I don't know where my mental health would have been during um, that um, period of isolation. And so I hope that's a topic we can talk some about as well today is how the pandemic impacted people's mental health and the isolation um, and that um, lack of connection, human connection, as much as we all love Zoom, uh, <laughs> it doesn't replace human connection in person. And so um, my husband and I are bi-coastal, kind of transitioning to bi-coastal. I'm, I'm originally from New York. He's originally from California. And the Lord gave us the word bi-coastal. So that's something that we're uh, listening for and being obedient to. Um, but I've transitioned away from uh, full-time mental health practice into coaching ambitious uh, Christian professional women and entrepreneurs who find themselves super busy on the hamster wheel um, with a to-do list a mile long, and they're having trouble focusing on and finishing what matters most, what matters most to God, so they can complete their kingdom assignment for this season and really live in their God-given purpose. So I've been working with women uh, virtually, which is such a blessing to be able to work with them one-on-one -on -one and inside of my group coaching program. Uh, so that's what's keeping me busy between the, beast, be the beach and, and growing my 
online coaching practice and, and ministry um, keeps me pretty occupied, but it's with the things that matter most. And the Lord gives me the grace to get it done without burnout. Yes, he does. He he has the ability to empower us to do the work. And when you said that immediately, I thought about the apostle Paul and how he said that it wasn't I, but it was the grace of God with me. Uh, because like you said, there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot to do. And, and you feel like you're up against the wall. Like I gotta go, I gotta go. But at the same time, you want to be at peace and you want to, you know, do things that uh, don't feel pressured, even though uh, there's this, this desire to really accomplish all the things that God has given you. So uh, I look forward to hearing more about uh, your women's coaching and hopefully we can put a link to that in, in the description so that people can get a hold of you. So yeah. Ah, Dr. Pegg, uh, I am, um, I'm really excited about this conversation. And uh, me and you had had a little discussion before we got on air. Um, I did a workshop over the weekend, and people were asking me about mental health. And immediately, I referred them to you. And it was encouraging, because one of the things that I've, I've come to understand is that a lot of Christians don't talk about mental health. It, 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 it's almost like they don't even know how to bring it up. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think that that's, that's uh, a fact among most Christians that they don't really talk about mental health? Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually a, 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 an issue amongst the general population. It's not just Christians. There's a stigma around mm. mental illness and not so much mental health, but a stigma well, around right. mental illness. Right. And that's common across the board. I think, especially amongst Christians, but it, it's the general population, there's a perception that if you're struggling with mental illness, there's, there's some flaw in you um, and, and that you don't have enough faith to not be struggling in those areas. But no, and people will tell you, snap out of it. If you're anxious or depressed, they lose patience with you over time. Um, but no one would ever tell someone with diabetes to just snap out of it. Uh, but they do say that kind of thing to someone with chronic depression, long-term depression. So I think it's really uh, common across the board that there's just a stigma attached to mental illness that is different from having a physical illness, but really um, there should be no differentiation between physical health and mental health. I, I once heard someone say um, there is a connection between physical health and mental health, and it's called the neck. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so our brain, you know, is connected to the rest of our body and our body's connected to our brain and they influence one another. And so we really need to take a holistic approach to wellness and well-being that includes physical and mental health. And uh, a lot of research shows that um, having a, um, a faith life, you know, we as Christians, of course, that's specifically about um, being a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the, the research shows that having a faith life and, and embracing spirituality is good for your mental health, has a lot of mental health benefits. And so we should be talking about mental health and mental illness as believers because um, it, it, it applies to, it's relevant to all of us and all of us may encounter a mental health challenge or we most likely know someone or love someone who has or will encounter a men, mental illness. 
Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And 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 as a Christian, like you said, even some of the fundament, fundamentals of being a follower of Christ uh, improve mental health. I had a guest on a, a week ago about uh, talking about forgiveness mm-hmm. and how forgiveness can affect your mental health, which then can affect your physical health. So mm-hmm. they are they are all connected. Um, and the stigma, you're right, goes beyond, you know, just the Christian community. And it's more around, like you said, mental illness, because it causes people to feel less than or feel like they're outsiders or, you know, like God is not real or something, you know, mm-hmm. because they struggle with these different things. What is a healthy way to have that conversation? You know, if if I was struggling, I don't know, anxiety, uh, I've I've struggled with uh, claustrophobia um, and it's and it actually started out of nowhere. I didn't have it. (laughs) At least I didn't know (laughs) until I was on a trip. We're at the Cave of the Winds, me and the family. We're inside the Cave of the Winds. We have walked through the entire, you know, uh, journey. And we're at this one point and all of a sudden. I just get this overwhelming you know, I can hear my heart beating fast in my ears. I'm sweating. I'm short of breath and I can barely move. And I'm like, what is going on with me? You know, what is happening? It just felt like I was going to die right there. And I, I kind of poised myself and finished the exhibit and drug myself out. And once I could, you know, breathe fresh air, I was like, Ooh, like, it was like, I just came up from underneath water and it, it, and I didn't want to really say anything at first mm-hmm. to my family that that actually happened to me. But eventually I, 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 you know, I expressed and I said, this, this, this happened to me, you know, and, you know, really got their support. But why is, it, how do you bring that up in a yeah, healthy way? Yeah. You know? Well, and it sounds like you had a panic attack yeah. and, you know, the, the risk of having a panic attack is your brain is always looking to make connections. So having a panic attack in an enclosed space or in a, inside of a tunnel or going across a bridge, your brain is going to look for connections so that the next time you encounter a similar situation, it's going to set off the alarm bells mm. so that you can respond appropriately and, you know, um, sets off that fight or flight response. And so having one panic attack puts you at risk for future panic attacks because you start to worry, what if this happens again? And you become hypervigilant. And that worry alone makes you feel anxious. So then you're back in a similar situation again, and it's easy for another attack to be triggered. And so having that first attack, it would, it's not uncommon to be afraid to tell anybody. It's not uncommon to feel like you're dying or having a heart attack. And that's terrifying. That adds to the panic. And so worried about how other people will perceive you. So back to that stigma again, might cause you not to tell anyone you're struggling. And the longer you go without telling anyone, suffering in silence, it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and you're not getting help, help or support, um, you're at risk for it really taking a hold. So to anyone who's having symptoms of anxiety or depression or having bizarre thoughts or feelings that you can't explain, you've got to find someone you can trust to let them know this is what's happening to me. So if you can tell a trusted friend or family member or pastor, just so you're not suffering alone. 
the problem is the average person is not well, um, well prepared and equipped to have a conversation with other people about mental health. So you could tell a trusted friend or a pastor, but they most likely won't even know what to do, how to help you. So really it's a matter of getting professional help. Uh, but the thing is, if you tell someone you're not suffering alone, the enemy can't deceive you into thinking you're alone, or even that one episode means you're losing your mind and you're crazy and they're going to lock you up. That's how the enemy <laughs> will take that and run with yeah. it. So not keeping it to yourself. Don't be ashamed. Don't isolate yourself. Don't let the enemy trick you and lie to you and, and silence you, but tell someone. And then hopefully you or that person remembers to talk to a professional. I, I used to do, um, there's a program, an international program called Mental Health First Aid. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the stats they give is you're more likely to encounter someone having a mental health crisis or a panic attack like you had, a claustrophobia, mm -hmm. than you are to encounter someone having a heart attack. Yet wow. more people are trained in CPR than they are intervening in a mental health crisis. Wow. So, yeah. So that training is so important for the average citizen to be trained in CPR. They should also be trained in mental health first aid, how to intervene if someone's having a mental health crisis or how to guide someone and connect them to a professional if they have an experience like you had. But the average person doesn't have that information. So that's why this podcast is so important today, and I do encourage the listeners, the viewers to share uh, this recording so more people can learn about how to recognize the signs of a mental health problem or crisis, and especially what to do, how to help someone. And really, it's to reassure them, comfort them, and connect them to a mental health professional. That's really the most important thing to do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't suggest that people do what, what I did because I kind of uh, just pushed myself through it because after, at, like, and you said it, you were, you're absolutely right. After that happened, I probably had about, you know, maybe three or four more episodes. Um, and and <laughs> basically, you know, I'm, there, there's always the, the feeling that I might have it again. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, um, just the same way it came, it's gone so mm -hmm. far. And, uh, you know, I probably should really visit that, you know, re revisit that with someone who is a professional that can, you know, kind of talk me through where that came from. Because mm -hmm. I've actually had other people tell me that they went their whole life. And then at like 45 years old, they started having panic attacks and anxiety to the point where, you know, one friend of mine had to pull their car over on the side of the road. They couldn't even move. They couldn't even do anything. And it's like, and so where, where does that come from? How, how is that? How does it just come on like that? Right. And that's such a common scenario that you're describing. I've heard it so many times from clients and then just people will have that experience um, I was, I was um, training for triathlons every summer and taught, uh, learned how to swim in order to do my first triathlon. And after seven triathlons, <laughs> uh, when I was training for the eighth one out of nowhere, well, I was always afraid of the water, but out of nowhere, I just was having panic attacks and could not bring myself to get back in the water. Mm. So my daughter actually swam the swim portion for me as a relay partner 
so I could finish my eighth triathlon. I was supposed to do 10 was my goal, 10 by age 50, but I never did the last two in part because out of nowhere, I just started panicking about getting in the water. So it's a super common experience. And after it happens the first time, worrying about it happening again, they call that anticipatory anxiety, just anticipating it could happen again, that alone can trigger another attack. So where does it come from? Um, you know, I, I don't know specifically right. why anyone would have that just out of the blue, but I do know that as we get older, or maybe even as your diet changes, maybe the weather mm. and the temperature and the, the atmospheric pressure, you know, something arbitrary might have happened that caused you to have heart pal palpitations or start to sweat. You, any number of things could have just randomly occurred. And for whatever reason, it set off the alarm bells in your in your brain, the fight flight response, which they now say is fight, flight, freeze, or faint. Oh. <laughs> so um, fight or flight or freeze or even faint in the extreme, um, that's that's your brain is wired to do that. And so what triggers that? Any perceived threat of danger. And so you could misperceive, ever see something flash across the floor and think, oh my God, a, a mouse, you know? And then you look again, it's, it's a leaf, you know, blowing in the wind. So any misperception of a stimulus that you see or smell or hear or feel could trigger your brain to have that reaction. And um, you've never had that reaction before. And just because of a perfect storm, the, all these variables come together and you have a panic attack. There could be some physiological reasons or brain chemistry reasons. Um, that's not my particular expertise. That would be a, a psychiatrist would know more about that. But um, people have these random experiences out of the blue all the time, and they may never again have a panic attack, but because they worry about the possibility that they could, that's actually what keeps the anxiety going. Yeah, yeah, that is, um, that's very insightful because I, I know so many people, including myself, that just have experienced it out of the blue. Mm -hmm. You're like, what just happened? Why did that happen to me? You and know? that's why it would be important to see a professional because you might worry you're having a heart attack. That's one of the most common fears in people who are diagnosed with panic disorder. One of their most common uh, beliefs is I'm having a heart attack. And what if I think it's just a panic attack, but it's actually a heart attack this time. So that fear makes them more anxious. So it's just self-perpetuating. So the sooner you can just even call your doctor, you know, if you have to pull your car over on the side of the road because of anxiety, call your doctor and let them know. And they can either reassure you, they can do some blood work, they can check your heart. And then you don't have to worry about it happening again, because they'll rule out any problems and give you some explanation of like, like I've attempted to give that sometimes weird things just happen and our brain tries to interpret it and gets it wrong. And next thing you know, we're worried about it happening again, when really nothing's wrong. Yeah, the extreme fear, um, like you said, of something more sinister going on right mm -hmm. there's something bigger happening you know you know when I feel this am I dying and and, exactly. and and when it comes down to those type of things the fear of death 
Um, do you find that as for a lot of people being a part of um, why their reactions vary? You know, some people, it's not a big deal. Other people, it's like this mm -hmm. thing frightens them so bad, you know, yeah. that they don't, they're like, was, am I going to die? <laughs> as soon as you ask that question, fear does enter in. And now not only are you just um, psychologically vulnerable for it to be self-perpetuating, but I do believe that's a little crack in the door for the enemy to come in now and, and start to deceive you. Like, oh, maybe you are going to die. And remember your you know, uncle who had the heart attack. And well, they may think you're crazy. And you know how your cousin that nobody talks about and what happened to him, because they all think he has schizophrenia and they, you know, so next thing you know, the enemy uh, capitalizes on that little bit of fear that that comes in, which is understandable to have some fear. But if you don't um, bring it into the light, again, that's the importance of telling someone, see how you as a strong man, the father, <laughs> you don't want to, you know, I had heart palpitations um, about a year ago that I let go on for hours before I told my husband and before I let him call the, you know, the hospital, take me to the ER, because you don't want to be a bother. Right. You don't want to be embarrassed that it turns out to be nothing. And so you let it ride, let it ride, let it ride, but you're terrified because you actually really don't know what it is. And so it's so important for so many reasons to tell somebody, because as soon as you keep it in the dark, that gives the enemy a foothold. You give him a little crack in the door to start whispering in your ear. And he's going to use fear, you know, fear is one of the enemy's real big, um, you know, strategies and schemes. And um, you're suffering in silence, you're ashamed, you're afraid that somebody's going to lock you up if you are crazy. And it just spirals from there. You don't want the hospital bill, you don't want anyone to call the ER because you don't want to be embarrassed and it's nothing. And now you got this big ambulance bill, you know, there's all these thoughts. And that's a whole other topic in itself of how our thoughts and beliefs produce our feelings and then our feelings produce our actions or inaction. And therein, you know, is, is the first little um, stepping stone into the world of, you know, um, crazy thoughts and, you know, um, the beginnings of mental illness. Right. You know, and, <laughs> you know, I, I think about so the, the, those hospital bills are enough <laughs> to give you a whole new panic attack when you exactly. think about how much it's going to cost if yeah. I go and then they find nothing and then I look silly because the doctor's looking at me like why did you come in here there was nothing wrong with you um <laughs> that's like you said that's a whole nother discussion but I want to I want to just touch on you know Christians sp specifically Christians that are walking around with undiagnosed mental illnesses and maybe they don't know um the signs of some of these basic you know what what what's going on with them like you said i if i see you know flashes out of the corner of my eye all the time or you know and because i remember and and i get to talk to you about this on air you get my little session in no yeah. Um, I remember I was, I was, uh, I remember being diagnosed with depression years ago. It was a long time ago. And one of the, uh, uh, symptoms they said was that, well, do you see 
images out of the corner of your eye or do you you know um uh you see something and then you look and it's not there anymore and they were telling me well you you could be depression it's like what well, what would that have to do with depression and, and it's just and i bring that up because what if we're walking around with undiagnosed mm-hmm. issues and we're afraid to go and get them diagnosed how do we, you know, what is the process? What would you encourage us to do if we're walking around with these things mm-hmm. with no way of, you know, we don't know what to do about it? Right. Well, it's the same with medical issues. Whether you get diagnosed or not, you still have the symptoms. Yeah. People think, oh, if I go get diagnosed, it's going to make it worse. <laughs> right. You, you already have the issue and putting a label on it doesn't make it worse. It actually... Uh, it enables you to better know what to do about it. Okay, so- Dr. Pei, stop right there. There are people in the church <laughs> that will say, don't claim that, mm-hmm. right? And I know you've probably heard that. Now, you you being on the other side of that, what, do you, what, what would you say to a person who's- I would say having a label to know what's going on, whether it's in my brain or my biochemistry or it's trauma, allows me- Uh, to know how to pray. So it's like someone getting a cancer diagnosis. You're not claiming the cancer, but there, there are things the doctor is detecting in your body that doesn't belong there. So if I know the doctor says I have cancerous cells, um, someone has cancer cells in their lungs, I know how to pray for them. It's not that I'm claiming it. Right. Thank you for telling me what's showing up in the natural and I'm going to pray in the supernatural and call my body into alignment with how God designed it. So it it allows me to know how to pray. Number one, number two, if there are physical changes in your body that modern medicine has remedies for, and all that knowledge comes from God, I want to know what category are these symptoms falling under and what interventions are available to address them so I can choose, do I want to tap into that? So I can pray and believe I'm healed by stripes. I was healed. I receive my healing and I want to pray against any hindrances that keep me from receiving and manifesting my healing. And if there are things in the natural that I can do, that I can partner with the way God designed my body. I can change my diet. I can exercise. I can stop smoking. I can stop drinking. I can make sure I get more sunlight. I can get around people. There are a lot of things you can do in the natural to elevate your mood, for example, uh, or improve your sleep, which Mm -hmm. if you're sleep deprived, you're going to hallucinate eventually. So there are a lot of things you can do in the natural because that's how God does. He gave us a natural body. So I can pray. I can believe I'm healed. And then I can, um, I was just uh, doing a Facebook live earlier today about Ephesians four. I believe it starts in 22, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Put off the old, you know, if you're in Christ, you're already new creation. And in order to display your new nature, you have to put off the old be renewed in the attitude of your mind, and then put on the new. So I can believe and have faith and be renewed in the attitude of my mind. And I still have to, in the natural, stop doing some things, 
like I need to stop, you know, eating the wrong foods or stop taking drugs, you know, illicit drugs. And I need to put on the new, all of the great practices that mental health professionals can tell you improve your mental health. So there's still things to be done in the natural that if you don't have a diagnosis, there's like a million things you could do that won't help. But if you have right. a diagnosis, there's five things you can do that will help. And if you do them, you'll, you'll improve and yeah. you can pray also. It's not either or it's both. So yeah, we don't want to claim, right. You don't want to speak things over yourself or joke about things or watch right. certain types of television shows that you're just over and over telling yourself this is okay, that what these people are doing that I enjoy for entertainment is okay. In a lot of ways, you're coming into agreement with unhealthy practices. So we, we really don't want to speak things over ourselves, but that doesn't mean you can't receive a diagnosis so you know what to do in the natural. Does that make right. sense? No, a hundred percent. I definitely agree because there's a tension between that. You have the people that, you know, I don't claim that. So they don't do anything, right? They don't go to the doctor. They don't, you know, they don't want to do anything. And then you have the other person. Well, yeah, well, you got to get to that. And so, like you said, it's not one or the other. It's mm -hmm. actually both. You know, I, I just, I think about, you know, I, you know, was supposed to get a, a, a surgery and, you know, I went through, two consultations and sat down with the surgeon and the surgeon looked at me and he looked at my x-rays and he said, you know, what you have, people have had for thousands of years mm -hmm. and the surgery, this surgery that we have has only been around for 50 years. You actually don't have to have a surgery right now. You, there's other things that you can do that would actually, you know, cause you to have a better comfort, a better quality of life. And the first thing he said is change your diet, <laughs> lose a few pounds. And all of a sudden you'll, you'll feel better. Um, the, the stress that's being put on joints and things like that will go away, or you can schedule a surgery and I can do the surgery. He said, I'll do the surgery, but wouldn't you want to change? Cause you're going to have to change so many things. Anyway. It's, a, it's a matter of what's the root <laughs> cause of it. The surgery can it's like I always share with my clients an image of an apple tree and everything they come to me, oh, I'm too busy. I procrastinate, you know, um, I, I feel afraid. Those are apples on the tree and we can mm -hmm. cut those apples off. We can spray it with pesticide, but they're going to grow back unless you go to the root cause of the problem. And so that's the same with um, medicine. You know, you, we can cut off the thing, right? And right. Cut, you, cut you open. But if your diet is actually contributing to the problem to begin with, we cut, we cut you open. And then um, two more years from now, you've gained even more weight and right. it, it, the problem reemerges. So it's about getting to the root and it's about, um, it's about, uh, you know, God partners with us, you know, we, we bring uh, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's things going on on earth that we've got to address. And we can also tap into the supernatural. It really is both. Yeah. And, and that's what I learned. It's like, you know what, I'm a fast and I'm a praying and I'm a seek God and he's going to give me guidance and direction um, because I was supposed to do a hip surgery, you know, I have real bad arthritis in my hip 
And he was saying, you know, you could, you could be fine with it, with it. If you just take some weight off, you'll probably feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I, I, I've cut out red meat Mm -hmm. and bread, (laughs) you know, and all of a sudden my body feels different. And even my mind is more clear. You know, I wake up in the morning. I'm not as tired as I was. I actually, when I wake up, I wake up, you know, how people wake up and they still got that fog, you know, I didn't realize that my diet had anything to do with even my ability to wake up and be ready to go for the day. And so you're absolutely right. We'll think that mental and physical have nothing to do with each other, but it's one body, right? It's one Mm -hmm. person. This is your total human self. Like you said, holistically, Mm -hmm. we've got to be treating that. And sometimes our depression or anxiety is tied to diet and inactivity. And also brings me to something you mentioned earlier, isolationism, Mm -hmm. right? And with the pandemic, a lot of people were forced into isolationism and how does that affect um those those mental illnesses absolutely you know man was not meant to live alone and so that isolation i think uh magnifies any vulnerabilities and issues a person was already dealing with and even someone who may have felt pretty stable and and that they've you know their well-being was was pretty stable um being isolated long enough will start to take a toll. Um, And then being in close quarters, let's say you're not by yourself, but it's just you and your spouse or you and your children in close quarters, of course, you're going to start getting on each other's nerves, you know, even under the best of circumstances. Uh, But especially for people who are, who live alone and don't have a spouse or children, um, that's certainly something that, um, if they already have pre-existing challenges, it, it'll it'll likely impact that. Or if they uh, don't have pre-existing challenges, s- certain um, issues may arise for them because we're just not meant to live in isolation like that. Yeah, one of the things that you know during the pandemic, especially when there was those weeks of lockdown, we had especially early on they would they locked us down for like 14 days or at a time and things like that, where you actually were not supposed to go out of the house. Um, I, I just remember how, you know, you, you had to be creative. You know, I was, per, I'm a person that tries to get my five to 10,000 steps in a day. And so I got to march in my room in in place and, you know, <laughs> got to do different things because I've got to get that activity and you know, and then being on Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call at that time, it was just like, wow, it was so much, you know, and you really wanted to, you know, talk to a person. You were talking to a real person, but you wanted to talk to somebody in the room, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it, it did put a stress on you. And there was a lot of cases of domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, suicides and things like that. Alcoholism jumped you know, because, you know, with some of these um, delivery services, you can just order your alcohol to your house. And marijuana and too. Marijuana too. And, and, and it's just, delivery services. And, and this, you're, you're trying to get by, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to, you know, make it through. And so I think it brings me to the question of, in the more serious cases, you know, people that are living with someone who has a diagnosed 
uh, mental illness, you know, what advice do you have for that individual that's caring for or living with someone um, who has, you know, something, you know, maybe uh, a depression, a, a severe depression or a schizophrenia or, you know, um, some people have elderly, um, you know, parents that uh, have Alzheimer's or dementia. What is some advice for them? Yeah, um, I, I, I used to speak for an organization that had a annual conference called Taking Care of the Caregiver. So it's so easy to take on someone else's illness or someone else's, uh, we're, we're to bear one another's burdens. Um, and, and at the same time, we can't take on other people's burdens. You know, we have to teach them, point them to cast their cares on the Lord. And to the extent that we're helping to bear their burdens as the body of Christ, uh, we have to cast that burden onto the Lord as well. So I think it's so common, whether you're caring for someone with a medical condition or mental illness. And again, we really shouldn't make the distinction there. Right, right. You know, we tend to say either this or that, but it's really, you know, why, why divide the two? If you're caring for someone with an illness of any kind, it's easy to take that on as your own burden and, and not get help, not get support, not get respite, not get relief. So of course we cast our cares on the Lord and seek the Holy Spirit even. I have this conversation with a lot of my clients. Um, it's, it's a good thing to do to take care of someone, uh, but what is the Holy Spirit telling you is your role? It may not be for you to be the one caring for them or providing all of their care right. or shouldering all of the burden. It, it, it takes a toll on that caregiver eventually. So I would tell them to, of course, first and foremost, seek the Lord for not only support, but guidance as well on how to approach this and get some help, get some respite. It's the same pride that creates the stigma of mental illness is the same pride that would keep you from asking for help when you're caring for someone and thinking you should do it all yourself. So, you know, back to the root cause of what's on that apple tree, those beliefs. Anytime you hear yourself say, I should, let that be a red flag. I should be able to do this myself. I should be able to do this without um, being so stressed out. I, should, I shouldn't feel so angry about it. As soon as you hear yourself say should, that's your red flag. You're believing something that's not necessarily true. And ask the Lord, what do you want me to know? And see what he shows you. And whatever he shows you, commit to do it. Even, even if you feel other people will judge you. Other people will think I'm a horrible wife or child because I put my elderly parent in a nursing home, or they'll think I'm a horrible wife because I couldn't keep doing this for my husband anymore and I had to get help. Um, I don't know why we put that burden on one another. If you need help, what's the point of the body if we can't ask for help and we feel we have to do it all ourselves? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really good. And I, yeah, there's so much, there's so much in that. Um, uh, there, here's something that came across my mind. I was talking to my wife about this the other day about having uh, churches, having either someone in their congregation or someone uh, connected to them 
that they can refer, you know, people that are struggling with different um, illnesses, mental illnesses. What do you think about that? Uh, is that a wise thing to, 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 for a church to have? Oh, absolutely. When I was still living in Denver, uh, that was one of my main um, passions was number one, providing mental health information, education, awareness um, to the body of Christ through churches. And um, you would think every church in Denver would be, would love to have me come and talk to their congregation. <laughs> Sadly, I often had to persuade, you yeah. know, explain why this was even needed. And I would run into some resistance. There are some wonderful churches in, you know, the Denver metro area that I'm familiar with that did invite me to come and have annual events around mental health and wellness. Um, so kudos to them. Uh, but it's a matter of educating um, the leadership to say, uh, whether you acknowledge it or not, you've got people in your congregation with mental illness. Um, I'm not familiar with the most current statistic, but at one point, the statistic was um, about one in five, one in four, one in five people, American adults is diagnosable with a mental disorder. So those people are in churches also. And so you can turn a blind eye to it um, and they're struggling. Where will they go if they can't get help here? Not that you have to provide the mental health intervention, but to at least be a liaison and a connector. So I totally agree with you having relationships in the community or at least having um, I'm going to date myself. I was about to say a few numbers in your Rolodex. <laughs> right. At least having a few numbers programmed in your phone that right. you can call the Mental Health Center of Denver or Aurora Mental Health Center. And you have a person that you know there that you can reach out to with questions. Or you know people in the community. I used to be involved with the Denver Rocky Mountain Association of Black Psychologists who provide a lot of free education and awareness in the community. And they have a directory and a network of uh, psychologists and therapists um, who uh, are willing to take uh, work with people who accept Medicaid. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, churches, that would be awesome if churches could take care of the needs of those who are suffering with mental illness or um, who are caring for people with mental illness. And even my use, use of the word uh, suffering from mental illness, uh, it's people living with mental yeah, illness, yeah. you know, that there's so many people who are so resilient, who are diagnosed, and that's a challenge for them. And yet they still love the Lord, they're contributing, you know, they're serving the, the, the church, they're, um, you know, advancing the kingdom of God, they work, um, it doesn't, it, it's not a death sentence. Um, I, I was reading, um, Mark, uh, Mark five, um, the, the, um, uh, man that was possessed by an evil spirit by, yeah. by legion, multiple legion, evil yeah. spirits. And he was, uh, um, what's the word I want to say? He was, um, banished, you know, to a, a cave and they tried to chain him and he couldn't be restrained, you know, probably what we would call severe, um, schizophrenia, you know, he often, someone might have superhuman strength when they're in a psychotic state. Um, and even um, after Jesus told the evil spirit to come out, which kind of brings us back to this point of 
spiritual and natural, you know, Uh, it's both for mental illness and mental health. But after he uh, cast out that evil spirit, um, he said the man um, was now sane. He was sitting fully clothed in his right mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so that implies that, well, there is this spiritual demonic oppression side of mental illness, you know? And so it's about having, um, mental health professionals we can refer to and people with spiritual knowledge uh, we can refer to. And one of the things the Lord has equipped me with is both. So I have this whole history of, you know, I have a PhD in clinical psychology and I'm an ordained minister and have studied um, uh, something called transformation prayer ministry, which is a healing and deliverance ministry. And I bring the two together and um, work currently with women primarily and i i can help them understand what might be a depression or an anxiety disorder and make an appropriate referral to the appropriate people in the community and i can help them with their spiritual needs as well um, and help them to receive healing and deliverance and identify um, where the enemy is exploiting them with lies and where they've made agreements and vows that are contributing to the symptoms that they experience. So it's really about having both and having identified people in the community or within your church family who can provide what's needed and and to offer training to increase awareness about recognizing the signs and how to connect someone to the appropriate help. Um, I think that's so important if, 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 if uh, anyone should be doing it or could be, I won't say should, if anyone could be doing it, why wouldn't it be the church? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the last things I I, want to kind of just touch and it's something that you've done very well throughout this conversation is choosing our words wisely as it relates to addressing the subject. Uh, you know, what are some things that we shouldn't say, <laughs> you know, well, as relating to this subject? <laughs> yeah, one of my pet peeves is um, whether it's physical or mental health, um, equating the symptoms with the identity of the person. So, yes. unfortunately, we do say diabetic. Mm-hmm. That person is diabetic. We mm-hmm. really shouldn't. That's not a good language. That's not good language. We wouldn't say they are a canceric. Yeah. You know, they have cancer. They're not a canceric. Yeah. So we shouldn't say schizophrenic. Yeah. They're a person who has symptoms of schizophrenia. Uh, they're a person who has symptoms of diabetes. Uh, you know, we really ought to get rid of saying diabetic because it just wipes you of your identity and puts this identity on you that has nothing to do with you as a person, just to do with you and your symptoms. So I think it's helpful uh, to talk with people about what's going on with your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, what are the observable things that we can see as opposed to labels? Because you're not a psychiatrist anyway, no one diagnoses except psychiatrists anyway. our psychologist. So who are we to put labels on people? You can say, I noticed you look really sad all the time. I noticed 
your sleeping patterns are off. I notice that you don't seem to enjoy the things you used to enjoy. I notice you don't have an appetite. I notice that you are struggling with your ability to concentrate. I know you keep, you're talking a lot about death and dying. Hmm. Uh, what's going on? Well, I just listed all the symptoms of depression. I don't have to say you're depressed and you know, you've got this diagnosis that shuts people down right away. And, it, and who, who, who am I to say, I happen to have, you know, an education in this, but the average person, who are you to say you're, you're depressed, but you can say, I noticed, I see these things right? and talk to me about that. Is that interfering with your ability to go to work? Are you starting to feel hopeless? Um, have you had thoughts about harming yourself or killing yourself? Just call the thing a thing. What, what is it that you're noticing? And tell your family member or friend or coworker, I'm concerned about you because I've noticed this, this, and that. Um, I, I'm here to listen if you want to talk to me about it. Or I'm really concerned. I don't feel comfortable letting you leave here today without us trying to get you some professional help. That's one of my favorite things to say. I don't feel comfortable letting you leave my office um, in this in the state that you're in right now. So I'm gonna call 911. <laughs> um, I don't have to diagnose you with anything. Yeah, Here's what I've noticed. Yeah, I think the same thing happens with like, you know, oh, he's bipolar or she's bipolar, or, you know, that person's, you know, <laughs> and it's like, are we are we supposed to be saying that, like you said, you know, letting that person take that on as an identity that this is who you are? No, these are the symptoms that you exhibit. And here are the people who can help you with those symptoms yeah because um, one of the one of the downsides to saying you know you're bipolar or i'm bipolar not only are you just equating a person with symptoms it's harder to um make changes mm. you're so identity produces habits and habits affirm confirm your identity so if you say i am bipolar there's really no identity that's going to help you overcome and create new habits or get help and make changes in your life. Uh, so not only is it just not a humane thing to do, for lack of a better word, equate someone with their symptoms, but it actually will, it'll hinder their recovery if their identity is as a, a as, as their identity is the illness Right. Not as a person or a child of God who lives in a fallen, sinful world and has these certain habits that um, there's interventions and there's science and there's medication and there's therapy that can actually help them with that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and it is always a pleasure um, to talk with you. Um, a lot of people don't know that we got ordained together way back in, in, in uh, 2008. Um, and so we're kind of, your wife. We were yes, yes, we are, we are, uh, 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 frat, frat brothers and sisters, I guess, <laughs> I don't know, uh, alumni or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but, um, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to, talk to you. And yes, I, I told my wife, I was going to be interviewing you and she was excited about that. And, 
So she'll be looking forward to, you know, seeing this interview. Um, and for those that are, are watching, if anything on here um, uh, sparked anything or helped you in any way, please comment and there'll be information to reach out to Dr. Peg. And, um, and if she doesn't have the answers, she obviously will be able to, you know, connect you with who does have the answers. But this, I think, is a, a conversation that is so needed. And we basically touched the surface. We really didn't go all the way into a whole lot of things, but hopefully this helped uh, those that were listening. And Dr. Pegg, if you would do me the honor of just saying a word of prayer for our listeners, uh, both those that are suffering from mil- living with mental illness. Look, I'm learning already. Living with, with mental illness and are supporting and, and serving those um, that are living with mental illness as well. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for having me on the show as well. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord God, for the ability to share this information um, widely with a, with a wide audience. I pray that you would uh, bless Apostle Anthony's ministry on this podcast, that uh, the right people that need to hear this information will receive it. And so we thank you, Lord God, that you've uh, provided um, a way for us to bring um, the natural and the supernatural together. We know it's not your desire that we would be uh, struggling with issues of mental illness, just as much as it's not your desire that we would be sick in our, in our physical body, that by your stripes, we were healed and you desire that we are well, body, mind, and spirit. So we thank you, Father, that we do have the mind of Christ and that we are able to renew our minds and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We thank you, Father, that we can seek your Holy Spirit for guidance on um, uh, what our next steps ought to be, whether we are uh, experiencing mental mental illness or um, supporting those and caring for those with mental illness. So, Father, I ask you to bless and strengthen Uh, those who are feeling weary uh, as caregivers and those who are feeling hopeless, who may be experiencing mental illness, that they, I pray that they would know that um, you have not forsaken them and that, um, that you love them and that they have hope in you and in Christ. So Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, for um, how you've designed our brains and our body and our Um, emotions and behaviors to all work together. And I pray that um, you would um, enlighten the listeners to have a better understanding of of mental health and um, mental well-being, Lord God, and and that they would seek out the information that they need uh, to, to live well and to be able to support those who are experiencing mental illness. I pray blessings over each person listening and over Apostle Anthony as well. And we just pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, this was definitely a pleasure and an honor to have you on. I've been trying to figure out a way to get you uh, on my podcast for a while. As you said, I got to be on your radio show uh, many years ago. And so uh, this was a great honor to have you back. Uh, on yes. Well, you don't have to figure it out. All you have to do is ask. Happy to come <laughs> on anytime you, you, you need me. Well, God bless. And to my listeners, remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God bless you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>